Greetings, I'm Will Tompkins, and this is the Narrow Way Podcast. This series of episodes is our 17-week study of John Bunyan's timeless book, The Pilgrim's Progress, edited by C.J. Lovick. This edition is available on Amazon in both paper and on the Kindle e-reader. It is also available on the Crossway Books website. Links to both are available in the description text of the first episode of this series. In this episode, we'll be discussing chapter 14 in our source text, Stubborn Ignorance. But before we begin, a moment of prayer. Holy is thy name, Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus. Unto you we give all glory and honor. We feel your presence here with us, Father God, and we are grateful. As we come together in fellowship to study your ways, May we be strengthened by the Spirit within. May wisdom be upon our lips, and may Christ forever dwell in our hearts. Come ever closer now, Father God, and let us feel your breath upon our necks, stirring us to our core and awakening our need to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as part of our review, loved ones, Let's recall that when we last left our journey, Christian had said to his brother, Hopeful, to prevent us from becoming drowsy in this place, perhaps we should have a good discussion. Hopeful agrees, and thus Christian begins by asking him, What made you decide to begin this journey? That is, how did he come to the Lord? Well, Bunyan lays out for us the seven steps. He begins with his distress over his sin, and concern over his soul. Second, he suffers internal resistance and struggle, but with an emerging conviction that the end of these things is death. Third, he remains unwilling to acknowledge the evil of sin or the damnation that follows sinning. He never imagined that God begins his work in a sinner's life by awakening him to his sin. Fourth, He tries changing his ways by fleeing from his sin and sinful company. But he did not yet understand that his righteousness was but filthy rags, and he did not understand the futility of works. 5. Then he came to know the gospel of grace, that there was nothing he could do to save himself, that the only righteousness that mattered was that imputed to him by Jesus Christ. 6. Next he learns from faithful that if he would but believe in him, the Christ, that his worthiness would be imputed to him, an unworthy sinner. And seven, then hopeful asks faithful, what must I do or say when I come to him? And so faithful gave him a prayer. God be merciful to me, a sinner, and make me know and believe in Jesus Christ, For I see that if his righteousness had not been offered, or if I have no faith in that righteousness, I am utterly cast away. O Lord, 
I have heard that you are a merciful God and have ordained that your Son, Jesus Christ, should be the Savior of the world. Moreover, you are willing to give him for a poor sinner like me, and I am a sinner indeed. Lord, take therefore this opportunity and magnify your grace in the salvation of my soul through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Then said Hopeful, Then I wept, and I asked again, But Lord, will you indeed accept and save even such a great sinner as I? And I heard him say, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen. Are you troubled today, loved one? Are you concerned with your soul and the wrath that is to come? Has the Spirit awakened you to the wretchedness of your sin? Have you been asking, what must I do? Then take this time right now and come to the Lord. Fall to your knees, bow your head, and say the same prayer as Hopeful did, and thus begin your journey along the narrow way. Now on to today's episode, chapter 14, Stubborn Ignorance. So who is this ignorance? Well, he is one who suffers from the delusion of self-righteousness. As we begin this chapter, we read that Hopeful looks back and notices ignorance, whom they had previously left behind, still following them. And he says to Christian, look how far the youngster follows behind us. Now, the significance of this may not be immediately apparent, but remember that this is a spiritual journey. And thus, this comment refers to his lagging behind in spiritual growth, in the true knowledge of the Word and in the knowing of God. So, while Christian and hopeful have grown spiritually, ignorance has not. He is one who talks the walk. But what is a true believer? He is one who walks the talk. Ignorance follows his own heart, and he has wrongly judged his heart to be good. He is not convinced of the depth of his sin or his need of a Savior. He finds comfort in himself, his good works, his positive outlook, his self-determination. He has wrongly concluded that because his heart and life agree, he has therefore a well-grounded hope that God will accept him. And as Pulse writes, he makes it clear by his replies that while he presents himself as a follower of Christ, he is in fact a follower of himself. In the end, ignorance's hope is based on one authority, his own heart. He believes that his salvation is assured by his self-righteousness and his good works. He fails to understand that we are not saved by good works, but rather we are saved for good works. Those different prepositions make all the difference in the world, don't they, loved ones? Good works are the evidence of salvation, not the cause of it. If there are no works or change of life to follow salvation then it should be questioned whether the person is truly saved. Paul makes the same point in Titus when warning us about false teachers, saying that they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. 
being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. And he goes on to show the relationship between saving grace and good deeds in Titus 2, 11, 12. Therein explaining that God's grace instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Then he adds in 2.14 that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Thus, genuine salvation involves a new creation that is entirely God's doing. This new creation is made for good works, not because of good works. Now, as ignorance comes alongside, our two pilgrims engage him in a conversation. Recall that ignorance first entered the story back in chapter 12. Ignorance assures them that he has left all behind for God and heaven. When challenged and asked how he knows this to be true, he asserts, My heart tells me so. Of this, Cheever writes, Thus, ignorance because of his pride and self-righteousness, is a stranger to his own wicked heart and is deceived into vain confidence. But the word is quite clear about the heart, isn't it, loved ones? For Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and then asks us, who can know it? Matthew 15.19 confirms this wickedness, saying, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And Shiva continues, As long as men continue to look at God's truth through the medium of their own pride and prejudice, they will have mistaken views of God and eternity, and their own self-righteousness will look better to them for a resting place than the glorious righteousness of Jesus, who of God is made unto us our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Though God's truth is clear, ignorance's depraved mind dims and distorts this truth and makes a religious system in which he cooperates by his works with Christ for his right standing with God. Listen, loved ones. 1 Peter 1.16 tells us, Be holy, for I am holy. And we have learned from previous lessons that it is faith plus obedience that equals holiness. But what's the formula for us to achieve righteousness? Well, there is none. Then where does it come from? From Christ alone. Our saving righteousness is imputed by our King and by Him alone. Amen, amen. Now believers, because of their love for divine teachings, understand that when it comes to their salvation, they may glory in nothing in and of themselves, but only in Christ and what he has done in and for them. Now the question arises, what are good thoughts worth? Well, it depends. Ignorance asks, but is it not a good heart that has good thoughts? And isn't a good life one that is lived according to God's commandments? Yes, responds Christian, but it is one thing to have these and another thing to only think you do. Ignorance's thoughts have him working hand in hand with the Lord. 
in his justification and in his righteousness, as if somehow they were doing this together, as if the atoning work of Christ on the cross were insufficient. Foolish man. Romans tells us, There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In this, ignorance reveals just how blind he is to the corruption of his own heart, which is, of course, the result of his conceited, self-loving confidence in himself instead of the necessary and absolute dependence and reliance on the gospel, that is, Christ's atoning work on the cross. Amen. Christian asserts, therefore, that ignorance's faith is deceitful and will leave him under the wrath in the day of the Lord, which is the day inaugurating the eternal universal rule of God. But alas, ignorance insisted, I will never believe that my heart is that bad. Now, more on ignorance's justification. First, what is his definition? He says, I believe that Christ died for sinners, answered ignorance, and that I shall be justified before God from the curse through his gracious acceptance of my obedience to his law. And I believe Christ makes my religious duties acceptable to his Father by virtue of his merits, and so shall I be justified. And now, Christian's correction. If that were true, he tells ignorance, then you are justified by your actions, which is false. He tells him he believes in a fantasy faith, for it is a faith found nowhere in God's holy word. Number two, and it is false because it denies the only righteousness that matters, which is that imputed to you by Jesus Christ, he says. And three, it is false because it makes Christ a justifier of your actions rather than your person. Four, which leaves you, he says, under the wrath in the day of the Lord. Listen, loved ones, the ignorances of this world are entirely overconfident in their supposed faith, a faith that believes the fear of sin takes away from their self-righteousness and self-holiness. They believe that free grace from God would encourage sinners rather than restrain them. False, because God's saving grace both justifies and sanctifies. That is, it makes righteous in the sight of God and declares them holy. They profess to believe in Christ but fail to grasp their absolute need to do so. They see the value to Christ's righteousness but only as an additional layer to their own self-produced righteousness. Ignorance has grossly underestimated the magnitude and the wretchedness of his own sin and at the same time overvalued his own self-righteousness, thereby convincing himself that he is a good person. He believes that God will somehow add the divine goodness of Christ to his own meager religious efforts, and thus fortified, accept him as righteous. Oh, loved ones, if we are to be justified, it will only be by the free grace of God, through the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus on the cross. There are no shortcuts. No, not one. It is Christ and Christ alone. And the fantasy world in which the ignorances live are just that, fantasy, and dangerously so. 
Let us walk by faith then, loved ones, and not in ignorance. And now, once again, Christian and Hopeful continue their journey, leaving ignorance to walk behind. It is, however, not the last time they shall see him. They have questioned him, they have challenged him, they have rebuked him, and they have instructed him, all in an attempt to save him, to make him see the error of his ways. They told him how God saves sinners, and they instructed him as to the real gospel message. They bemoan his spiritual blindness, but are unable to open his eyes. They do, however, identify the source of his error. Ignorance cannot or will not grasp the graveness of his condition because he does not genuinely fear or fully understand the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And ignorance has neither. He surely wants to go to heaven, the celestial city, and he has indeed undertaken this pilgrimage. But he remains blinded by his own sin and is surely unaware that his very soul is in danger. Our Lord speaks of this, of true and false disciples, in Matthew 7, 21, 23, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Ignorance is trusting in his own heart, his own evil heart, and he believes that he is the wellspring of good. The problem here, of course, is that his erroneous self-serving judgment causes him to think less of God's grace and more of his own supposed holiness. Foolish man. His religious activities are more about his arrogant vanity than they are about worshiping God. And this, loved ones, leads him to the badly conceived notion that he's on the pilgrimage and that God is just along for the ride. This kind of arrogance, this kind of pride, makes us fear men more than God, and worldly fear, the fear of man, is debilitating, causing us to cower before men and ignore the godly fear that fortifies us against sin and evil. Paul writes in Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. This is a question we must continually ask ourselves, loved ones. Are we pleasers of men or are we bondservants of Christ? Let us not make the same mistake as ignorance. Fearing God is not weakness. Rather, it displays fortitude and wisdom. And as Isaiah 33, 6 reminds us, it is a heavenly treasure. Amen. 
We'll end our discussion of ignorance with this reading from Cheever, where he artfully compares ignorance to hopeful. Ignorance and his self-confidence only serves the more to set off the barrenness and groveling tastes of his soul. The more confident and dogmatical he is, the more an object of pity does he become to good angels and spiritual men, and of contempt and mockery to lost spirits. His boastfulness is only the strong symptom of his insanity and the sure token of his perdition. And of hopeful, he writes, On the other hand, he who hath renounced his self-righteousness and with a broken and contrite heart hath fled for refuge to the righteousness of Christ, he hath found a clear vision and noble and rational tastes. Now he despises and loathes the objects which he had before admired and loved, and lifts up his rejoicing eye to behold the beautiful scenery of the green and smiling earth and the quiet lake reflecting the happy heavens. And he sees these happy heavens themselves from whence the reflection comes. Justly is this one called hopeful. As our pilgrims once again leave ignorance behind, they begin a conversation about one Mr. Temporary. Christian tells Hopeful that he once knew him, but then all of a sudden he grew acquainted with Mr. Save Self, and then he became a stranger to me. The inclusion of these two characters, however, serves only as a segue to the real subject of their conversation, backsliding, because of which Mr. Temporary was lost. Now, as an introduction to this topic, I offer this definition by Alexander White. He writes, Speaking of backsliders, they are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy and have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. As an aside, you may recall that back in chapter 1, backsliding made quick work of one Mr. Pliable. Well, having both agreed that this would be a profitable conversation, Christian asks Hopeful to begin. Well then, Hopeful says, there are, in my judgment, several reasons for it, several reasons why so many men's religion is such a temporary thing, why so many men run well for a time and then stand still and then turn back. First, that though their consciences are awakened, their minds are not changed. Thus, when the power of guilt begins to fade and all those reasons that compelled them to seek the Lord diminish, they are ripe to be overtaken by worldly fear. Second, they have slavish fears that control them, the fears of man. Why? Because they do not have the faith to trust the 25th verse of the 29th chapter of Proverbs that promises us that the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Third is the shame that attends true religion. 
which makes it a stumbling block for them. Now, having been attacked by pride and arrogance, they begin to consider religion beneath them, even contemptible, especially when their notions of hell and the wrath which is to come begin to fade. Then, perhaps slowly, they begin to follow the flatterer or the atheist, and soon their walk has made a U-turn away from Zion. Fourth, and lastly, the guilt and terror that come to mind as they consider their own miserable condition as something that grieves them. But instead of causing them to run to Christ, they instead attempt to avoid all such thoughts. And when they are successful in that effort, their hearts will be hardened to any such renewal in the future. And thus, they become those who went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. 1 John 2.19 Then they grow weary of their public duties to the Lord. They might stop attending church or listening to sermons or reading the word or gathering in fellowship or they begin finding fault with others or the message. And as this time of abandonment is happening, they begin to draw near to fleshly, loose, greedy, lewd, and unruly men. And the warning for us, loved ones, comes from 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness. By now, the backslider is looking for any excuse, any fault or sin in those he once considered honest, to justify their own sins and thus are hardened. Now, completely in the open, they show themselves for what they really are, and soon again they fall into a state of misery. Unless, as Bunyan writes, there is a miracle of grace that prevents it, they will perish. Well, loved ones, as we draw to a close on this episode, chapter 14, Stubborn Ignorance, let us remember its overarching lesson. There is no safety but in Christ. And let not the day of judgment be any surprise to you. Let us pray. Thank you, Father God, for this time of reflection, for this time of fellowship, for this time to draw closer to you, our living God. And Father, may the enlightenment you have now conferred upon us through the Holy Spirit be shared with those who remain lost. Bring them alongside us, Father, that we may reach out our hand in fellowship and walk with them along the narrow way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our next episode, we'll discuss chapter 15, Home in the Celestial City. Until then, loved ones, may the Comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city. 